welcome to the 905 podcast. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And this week we've got a uh, we've got a roundup episode. There's a whole bunch of stories that we've been wanting to cover for a few weeks uh, that we thought we really need to do a sort of catch up and try and hit a whole bunch in 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 one go. And um, but before we do that, I just want to say a quick thank you to um, all our patrons who've uh, been uh, generously contributing, um, whether previously in previous years, earlier this year, but especially after we've been doing our kind of end of year patron uh, drive, reminding everybody why they might like to contribute to the 905. We really appreciate the support. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been really a, a, a an excellent response, phenomenal response, and we, we appreciate everybody who supports us. If you'd like to be one of those people, just go to our website at the 905.ca and um, it keeps us going. It, it helps us um, uh, keep the lights on. <laughs> and and the connect computers connected to the uh, to the internet and uh uh it really means a lot to us that people uh, are willing to support us in that way so thank mm. you everybody who's who's contributed but now back to the news um and we're going to start off with um a story that just came out um yesterday and today um and it's about Jackson Square in Hamilton and um well, basically, the big development that's supposed to be happening there is not happening anytime soon. So Hamilton will get to look at an empty Jackson Square for foreseeable future. Um, and this, well, really, Joel, it, um, it's not just a Hamilton story. This says something about the, no. the the property market and about how development happens in this province as ever. Well, that's the thing is that the, the story goes, the developer who bought the city center, Hamilton city center, and then really kind of, you know, pushed all the business, the remaining business businesses that were there kind of, all right, get out. Cause we're going to need to start construction has said it's no longer financially viable for them to tear it down and build the four tower project that they were initially going to, uh, planning for. And. Yeah, I mean, this is something that you and I have talked about many, many, many times on this podcast. And this isn't a Hamilton-centric story. This happens repeatedly around the 905 of developers who buy land and then say, push for the the approval of whatever it is that they want to build there, the townhomes, the condo towers, the whatever, and then sit on it because it's not a financially viable project to engage it. And we understand there's inflation. There is, uh, they're waiting for, for pricing or the market rates to come down. So it's easier to buy borrow money and whatnot, but it's kind of emblematic of the problems in our inherent system of building housing and relying on private developers to build the needed housing that's needed right now. I mean, it technically it was needed last year, not not right now or not next year or not two years when it's market viable. It's needed now. And it's kind of like, well, how, how do we square that away? Like, how, I, cause I understand that developer needs to make a buck. They have a responsibility to their employees, to themselves. They have a fiduciary responsibility and we're not ne- neglecting that. I'm not saying that needs to be overlooked, but clearly there is a driving need in the market or in the, in the, Social, especially in downtown Hamilton, like that, we just need development in downtown Hamilton. How, like, you know, what, what, what's going on here? How, how do we square this, uh, this, this square peg into a round hole? Yeah, it, it, 
this is this is the the, the the perennial problem with 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 how development gets done in this province, um, and it's because of the the the, the connection between land development and land speculation. Um, now, I'm not saying that 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 the developer in this case is anything other than 100% honest about the reason that they are pausing development. I'm not saying that. Um, uh, doesn't really need no 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 ulterior motive is is required. Uh, however, no developer wants to, and often is able to develop. Um, uh, you know, unless the market is 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 at its at its peak in demand. So, and also because that they have to, as a business, maximize their profits. Um, profit. You know, so huge amounts of land. We've spoken about it again and again. There are huge numbers. I can't remember the exact numbers, but endless approvals in the pockets of developers in this province that are not being developed and uh, that are just sitting there waiting for the right moment to happen. Um, and, you know, and rather than ever talking about that fact, uh, all the attention, both increasingly at a federal level as well as a provincial level, is about, well, you know, these municipalities are stopping development. Well, Hamilton's not stopping anything here. Hamilton would do anything to get uh, an empty shopping mall replaced with something far better. Four towers. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. like 2,000 units or something like that. Yeah. And that's a lot of housing. Um, now, well, I mean, if you're going to have residential towers, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of just tower blocks, but if you're going to have towers, then downtowns are the place to have them. And, um, uh, you know, Hamilton already has towers. I mean, I, you know, like I say, I, I I could always think of preferable modes of building, but I'm I'm not going to say it's, you know, whatever. What we can certainly all agree on is that an empty shopping mall, uh, which is you know not the most attractive place at the best of times, uh, is not what what we need right now uh, uh, in Hamilton. Um, so um, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's tragic, but it's emblematic of just everything that happens. Uh, the building will come in time, but goodness knows when. Uh, the but uh, the, the problem is like it's needed now. It's not, mm -hmm. and that it, that's the the problem we have with development in the in the province nine hundred five province and dare I say I guess across the country is that the private sector builds at its own schedule as it kind of should. I mean, it, it, it does have a right to like the developer has a right to make a buck off of this project. They, that's their business. That's what the, that's how capitalism works. But we're seeing is the fault of capitalism is that this doesn't work. And that's why, you know, I've said, we need more affordable housing. We need government, whether it's the province or the feds to come in and start building cheap, market friendly, market ready, good housing for low income or, or fixed income families to be housed in. And the, the reason why is, now that's not going to solve all of it. It's not possible. But what it does do is that it creates a demand and a competitive edge that people say, well, not everybody's competing for the condo towers or for the, the latest private sector housing. They say, well, I have options now. I can go into a subsidized unit. That's good. It's clean. It's affordable. It's safe. 
and that that relieves the pressure and they maybe creates you know dare i say it competition in the market that maybe it it could start you know lighting a fire underneath underneath developers say yeah that's there's an incentive now i need to get this project done because i need to get this off my books i need to make the profit that i can from it and move on to the next project and because so waiting for the bank of canada to bring down uh uh to bring down rates back to where they were pre-pandemic that that's not a safe that's not going to be a viable option that that quite frankly i don't think that's ever going to happen but say we'll wait for the bank of canada to bring down rates to you know less than one percent uh interest rates that that that's going to be a long way before the private sector then says okay now i can borrow money to build build my, my projects we need to start rethinking this and that's kind of where i always look more to the federal scene where you have folks like pierre polyev say oh no it's the municipalities they're red the municipalities don't cut the red tape malarkey it's not the municipalities fault like we need major investment by the ones who have the power meaning the federal government into just building cheap affordable housing this isn't to say that justin trudeau has solved the problem because lord knows i think we can do more there but just saying oh no it's the it's the like you said earlier Roland, it's the municipalities they're they're the fault that is such a red herring it is such malarkey it is not the problem here well yeah i mean actually let's 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 look at that so so i mean so hamilton along with every city almost every city apart from uh, uh new market signed up to these targets and we spoke to mayor um john taylor a couple of weeks ago about this and he was like this is why i wouldn't sign up and and so you know hamilton is has signed up to get so many things developed well those 2000 units will have been part of that sort of target so to speak that they need to hit well, the city has no control over this mm. all they can do is issue the developer came to them and said i want to build 2000 units downtown city said awesome thanks very much uh off you go then um get cracking um and then a year after the development was literally meant to actually start uh, just after the holidays last year um the developer says oh well you know actually um you know the market we're, we're not going to be doing this anytime soon so just 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 look at uh, you're just going to have to suck that up again i'm not necessarily you know in this particular instance i'm not criticizing the developer um i don't know enough about it but you know they i mean any any development of that scale uh you know so many units have to be sold before they actually have the money to build the thing um uh, so you know that that's part of the story too um well, but but ultimately it's like well if we wait two three years three years we're going to get a much better price right um and the costs will not have gone up proportionally to what we get in terms of of market price so the, the the motivation for developers is always to like, like well can we get a better price in two years time three years time five years time because if it's even if it's five years that's just fine in, in the uh, context of development if you're talking about millions and millions of dollars but again it comes down to we don't need it five years from now we need it now mm-hmm. and that's you know again it's that how do you how do you balance these two conflicting and and and, 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 think, ju- and I, I conflicting i would argue very justifiable 
needs. I, I you know, that's that's how it goes. But I, I think what it, we come down to is the notion of oh, it's these dastardly municipalities that are blocking development. I say, we, there's right here. No, this isn't the case. Like we've we've never seen a case where a municipality has flat out stopped a development. Maybe delayed it. Maybe mucked it up a bit, but flat out stopped a development approval from going through. Never. It's never happened. I invite any of our listeners to do the deep dive. They legally may... can't. They legally can't. Right. I mean, the, the, the least they can ever do is allow the developer the as of right zoning for that piece of land. That's the minimum. And then, you know, if they say, okay, you've come forward with a proposal, it's zoned for 14, you've asked for 30, which should not be a, a, a the kind of request that was out of uh, out of line. Well, uh, you know that just goes to the to the to the LPAT, and, and in a case like that, the LPAT, um, the Ontario, whatever the hell it's called, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Ontario Land blank. Tribunal. Got a, such a mental blank over the name of that thing. It, it's the trauma, people. It's the trauma of all the different uh, acronyms that things had. Um, they will undoubtedly, in a case like that, say, "Well, okay, you asked for thirty, you can have twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Right. Uh, so, the the most a city can do is delay. The most it can do is delay. Um, and in the context of how long development takes, they can't even delay for that long. To be honest, yep. municipalities are just not the freaking problem. They're not. Um, uh, the the you know. If, if you want to look at sheer acres of land that are ready to be developed, that are not being developed, it's all because it's in the pockets of developers and they don't want to develop it. That's the only freaking reason. But, but I think that that might be a good, maybe somewhat awkward segue into the next aspect of this episode we want to talk about. And that was kind of the culture at city halls. And that while city halls are are essentially powerless to develop or to prevent development from really going forward, they are really good at protecting their own. And that seems to be where city halls energies tend to be focused on is, you know, looking after each other's back. And no greater example of that was a story that we've been wanting to cover for a while, but haven't gotten around to it. But that's the, the Red Hill Valley Parkway scandal. Uh, that happened in Hamilton. And for listeners who are not in Hamilton, uh, who don't know, the Red Hill Valley was a parkway that was completed uh, a, a while back and a number of accidents happened on it in Hamilton. It's connecting the, the Lincoln Alexander Parkway down to the QEW. And a number of uh, traffic fatalities happened on that parkway to the point where people said, what's going on? It seems that the, you know, the curves on the parkway were very slippery. And it led to collisions. Well, after a while, it turns out that the city knew for a while that it was made, the, the parkway itself was made with some faulty materials, not really up to code, which contributed to these accidents. Now, rather than the city owning up to the scandal, to, to the mistake, to the shortcomings, they essentially tried to bury the report to save the, the necks, the, the butts of city staff. Um, yeah, and we should we should maybe just um, qualify that slightly and say that the members of staff of 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 a particular um, department covered up the report, yes. uh, and, and when when the city discovered, 
the, you know, the wider city uh, hall discovered years later what was going on, they then initiated the inquiry. So it's not the entire city that was covering up. It's not councillors that were covering up. It was a department and particular uh, director, um, uh, basically uh, Gary Moore, director of engineering services, the person who the inquiry has pointed at, um, uh, who, who, who covered it up. Nevertheless, one individual, uh, a couple of individuals, whatever, um, it says something important about city halls, and I think that's that's what we we want to kind of yep. look at here. Well, yeah, I mean, it, so the, the inquiry we it, this came out a couple of weeks ago, so for people in Hamilton, it, it's kind of old news now to an extent. But we really wanted to uh, we, we didn't have sort of time to fit it into the schedule. We really wanted to at least uh, give uh, an important kind of nod in the direction of this story because it, it, it to an extent it's gone by unnoticed and it's it's it was a big deal the report that the, the inquiry and the story behind this was an important factor in the last election in hamilton now the reports actually come out it was almost like you know, the report itself kind of went by without a huge amount of, of of comment but i mean the report came out with what everybody expected it to come out with which was that there was sort of major systemic uh, problems here. Um, the 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 um, there were major design flaws in in the road itself, uh, including um, overly tight corners, wrong kind of uh, asphalt on on the highway, um, which was too slippery, had lower grip than it should have had, um, and, and that um, resulted in hundreds of collisions in which s- several people were were killed between two thousand eight and two thousand nineteen. You know, eleven years. Um, the first report were, was um, requested by the city itself um, in two thousand and thirteen, and that report in two thousand and thirteen um, raised, you know, basically said, "You've got a problem here. This needs to be fixed." And that was the report that was buried by the director uh, of engineering services who requested the report uh, and who kept the findings under wraps for the six subsequent years. Uh, as a result of which several people are, are were killed um who would otherwise have been uh alive um and well, it's just give the numbers here i'm just re- reading from the from the cbc but 862 collisions between 2013 so when the first report happened and 2017 um uh including deaths of uh one two uh, at least uh, four people, all uh, fairly young, 18, 19 years old. Um, so, you know, an absolutely tragic um, situation. Um, a- a- and, you know, the specifics relate to particular people. But, you know, my feeling was looking at the story and looking at the report is this, this is a, it's a very, it's a very familiar story of, of, Department, departmental defensiveness, protection, protectionism, of kind of, this is the culture that you see at city halls if you spend any great amount of time at them, and, and we've looked at quite a few now. You know, um, I always kind of joke. Um, you know, Joey Coleman's a great friend of the podcast, uh, a great, really good journalist. I mean, a great journalist, uh, um, and he looks at Hamilton and and. I think, you know, the temptation always is to say, you know, Hamilton's a particularly bad example. It's like, I don't think it is. I think Hamilton's entirely typical of how city halls work in Ontario. 
you look at any city hall for, for a particularly long t- time, you'll find the same stuff. And it's uh, at toxic atmospheres, not just amongst the political employees, but amongst the people who work there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, my, my, my experience was, was of just, you know, any attempt at change, any attempt at innovation, any, any suggestions were met with like the fiercest kind of wall of defensiveness uh, of, of like, get off our land, get off our turf, keep away. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that comes out of that, those kind of mentalities, um, but it, it, this, it, the question that I think for a lot of our listeners say, well, where's the accountability to counsel, you know, the, the report, like, again, it's the, the, I think people think of a council as like a mini parliament, right? Is that, oh, I've elected this council. They're accountable to me and my counselor, you know, voices my concerns about my neighborhood, my, my neck of the woods to counsel and they, they enact policy to make where I live better. And it doesn't work that way. It, it's, you know, the, the, cause I, I think most people would think, okay, a, a report was commissioned. It should have been presented to council and council reads and says, oh my gosh, we need to make these actions. Let's put the money into repairing the road or whatever. And that doesn't happen because they can, like, I don't think council can just go and say, Hey, where's that report we asked for? We asked for it at the end of the month. Where is it? Call you, you know, that, that doesn't happen. There, there is no body that sits there and says, Hey, Gary, where's the report we asked for? Or you get time and then a new council comes in and it gets lost in the shuffle and nobody knows about it again. There's no carryover to the next council say, we have these outstanding items that need to be addressed. What do you want to do with it? And maybe you do, like, but that's entirely dependent on staff. And that's where, again, that accountability comes into, into play here. Uh, but, and it kind of made to bring the conversation a bit full circle, you know, decrying about focusing on stuff with, with municipalities that they can't change. I, vis-a-vis development, what it takes away from the real discussions about real municipal reform that needs to take place to give honestly councils, mayors and councils more authority over the employees to say, we're, you're not accountable to the people. The elected people are, the, ele- the elected ones are are accountable. They need to, and ultimately these people do work for you and I, the the citizens, the taxpayers, the 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 ones who who do pay their salaries say, you work for us. And when we have questions about our, our roadways being, our, our, our roadways safe, answers shouldn't be left at the bottom of an out, out uh, pile on somebody's desk. Yeah, and I think I mean just you know looking at the the, the report's findings on 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 the individual Mr. Moore, who was kind of ultimately behind this this tragedy and behind this this whole thing. Um, you know, I'll just read a quote from the report here. Mr. Moore expressed these views aggressively at times to staff, including challenging the utility or need for traffic safety countermeasures. Basically, the, the attitude, which which is remarkably kind of stupid, that you know, well, if drivers drive too fast, it's their fault if they die. Um, things are designed because people. We have to design things because people are imperfect. Um, 
uh, people will drive too fast. Some people will drive badly. Some people are inexperienced drivers. You know, it's probably mm-hmm. no coincidence that, that, that some of the people killed here were young because they they haven't got the experience. Of, of, now, I'm not saying I don't know about the specifics. No idea. But you know, I know when I was young, I didn't drive with as with as with with the kind of utility that I do now. With the hands were not always at ten and two. Is that it? <laughs> They're probably not always at ten and two now either. But but you, you, you get that kind of you know that that sixth sense of, of, yeah. of how traffic is and the feel of the car on the road and and, and you know you know what it's like when you're driving on ice or on a slippery surface. You know yep, yep. all these kind of things. So you design things for that situation that we live in an imperfect world. Um, you know you, you don't um, you know. Uh, Aeroplanes are actually like jet aeroplanes are a fantastic example of, of of how you can design things where no accident is is can ever be acceptable because you know just uh, driver error is going to end up with hundreds of deaths um, and you know like if we designed our cars the way we design planes it would be a very different world that's for sure uh, so you know that's almost a separate uh, a separate issue there. But it's that culture of, of kind of arrogance um, within city halls that I've certainly seen with, with my own eyes. And I've certainly spoken to many elected yeah. officials over the years and spoken about, you know, there are not, not and, you know, I want to stress at this point, vast majority of city hall staff I've ever dealt with or spoken to were lovely people, um, very professional, very well-intentioned. Um, you know, so I don't want to, you know, give the wrong impression. However, there is um, certainly an element within city halls, and because of the traditional, you no, know, so-called weak mayor, so-called what I would call weak council um, uh, arrangements that we have, the you know staff will keep stuff away from the elected people, and, and well, some staff will keep stuff away from from, and will. You know, really, as far as possible, say it's our job to decide what goes on here. Mm-hmm. Screw the elected folk, and, and it's a system that encourages that point of view. Uh, if we're completely honest, so you know, I wish that the strong mayor powers, so-called strong mayor powers, have been brought in, where were a lot more. It was a proper strong council system, wow. properly thought about, properly studied, and considered for years on end. Not just sort of brought in on the back of an envelope by 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 Doug Ford, um, that readjusted the power balance between staff and council, so that I don't think that's what we've got. I don't think we've got what we actually received was anything like that. Um, but I, I think that could only help with that accountability, with with you know making sure people know where they stand in the pecking order of things. Why don't we take a break there uh, for our sponsor and. We'll be back with our last uh, last bit for the episode. Okay, so to wrap up, um, we're gonna, we're going to look at uh, Burlington's la- latest budget. Uh, and again, it's not because we're picking on Burlington, but a bit of a what we see as an emblematic problem across all municipalities, and that is we're still doing things the same way that we've always done things. Um, I think the general consensus is, and it's something, if you listen to this podcast for a while, you've known change is needed, not just governance, but the way that we do things. Um, and that being said, in the last 
2024 budget with the uh, with Burlington. This was brought to our attention by Safe Streets Halton. Is that there's no effort to change the way we get around in our cities. We 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 still build our cities like we expect it to be a 1950s suburban utopia of okay, I can get in my car and do a 15 minute drive down to the to the uh, store, the shop, whatever, pick up what I need, and I'm back in half an hour. And let's face it, folks, you and I both know that that's not the reality on the ground. It You get anywhere in a city of a moderate size, such as Burlington, Oakville, Newmarket, Markham, it takes you a while to get around because there's just so much, so much more of us around here. And for decades, advocates have been asking for increased biking infrastructure, increased public transportation infrastructure, and just increased funding to public transit in general. And we're not seeing that uh, in, in our municipal council's budgets, especially in the fact that because of Bill 23 with the cutbacks on development uh, development fees, so cities are now forced to raise property taxes, which is happening across the board, but we're not seeing a, a change. You know, we're not seeing a, a, a change in the structure of, okay, we need to start investing in smarter ways to get around. And part of that is, I think, we, public transit. I don't see any other way to, to solve it. We just need more public trans, transportation. And I underscore that because of some, I live in Burlington and something that's happened twice now in the last two or three years now that's completely out of the control of Burlington City Council, mind you. We have three highways converging in our backyard here. When the Skyway uh, shuts down due to accident, construction, whatever, the overflow of all that traffic filters into Burlington and the city becomes gridlocked and it's impossible to get around. And while that is a gross inconvenience for a lot of people, especially when it happens at uh, uh, rush hour, it's dangerous because God forbid there's an emergency and we need first uh, first responders, emergency crews to get to a fire or a medical emergency or a crime that's happening. And they can't because they literally cannot move you know, on major streets. It is a, it is a literally like it takes hours, eight hours to get home. It's that bad. And there's nothing the city can do. Like they, they cannot, like they can't widen streets. They can't add more lanes. They can't, order you to stay home. It's just not possible. What they can do is I think invest in better public transit infrastructure. They can invest in more European designs of roads where you might have dedicated public transit uh, laneways that no one but public transit and first responder vehicles can use. The rest of us can't. And the idea is that we get around a lot faster, a lot easier, a lot simpler. Um, but we're not seeing that kind of innovation from any municipality here in in the 905. It's it's a lot of it is let's just keep doing the same thing that we've been doing for the last 60, 70 years and hope that somehow it's going to become better tomorrow. It's not. We 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 need we need to start breaking getting away from the the 1950s suburban mentality uh that kind of has been guiding the the idea of like we'll just keep feeding the sprawl right? We'll just keep feeding the sprawl and that's going to be the way that we grow our cities. We're not, we're not seeing that at all. No, I mean, the cities, I mean, we see cities in, in Europe, um, 
Paris is always one that's held up as an example, doing really radical things, um, you know, just seizing the initiative on, on things like um, cycling infrastructure and um, and also city, you know, cities like Amsterdam. Um, you know, the the, the cliche always is, is like, well, we, you know, uh, Canada's not like Amsterdam. We can't, you know, we will never be like that. They have a cycling culture. And then you, people show you the pictures of Amsterdam in the 1970s when they had car gridlock um, because there was no cycling infrastructure at that time. They built it. They spent decades and decades building it. And now they're reaping the rewards. I mean, to the extent that they actually now have uh, bike traffic problems. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, that's what can happen when when when, when municipalities have vision and to be fair when municipalities are given the power by the higher levels of government to be able to have vision and have um you know the the um financial tools the spending um tools uh the fundraising tools um to actually do that now so so i think part of the problem you know part of the criticism that i'm going to level at burlington is not burlington's fault um it's not you know, and when we're picking on Burlington, we're just using Burlington here as an exemplar. We haven't spoken about them for a while. I do think, having said that, that you know the the, the great promises of of, of Marianne Mead Ward in her first term, you know, this kind of dramatically different council. My God, it looks a hell of a lot like every other council that's ever existed in Burlington <laughs> right now, in terms of what it's doing, in terms of the 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 really. You know, there were two two significant things that we're just going to pick on here. Uh, you know, we're not going to go into detail on on, on the whole budget, um, but you know, there there was a discussion over spending for 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 uh, for housing for affordable housing, um, uh, and, and that was voted down. You know, it's just basically like too expensive, can't afford it. Done. Um, uh, one councillor in favour there. Um, uh, there was talk about funding for a a, a safety um, a road safety officer, road safety coordinator position. So one member of staff um, to basically uh, you know work specifically on road safety and and reducing deaths. And remember, you know all these cities are all signed up to the Vision Zero. Zero means zero. It doesn't mean zero means ten or twelve. You know, um, uh. Two councillors in favour there, uh, uh, the rest against, and it's basically well, you know, we um, we don't really need this. It's not really uh, the lack of, you know, even even the most incremental, small, minor changes get voted down, mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, it it's you know the way the way that we constantly have done things in the past is no longer viable. We we we. We need to have councils, again, not just Burlington or Hamilton, but around the 905 who are willing to embrace change, who are willing to say, we're going to build the infrastructure needed to get around more efficiently, more, more fast. The idea of just like, we can't add more roads. That's the thing. Like we can't, you can't just say, oh, we're just add widen the roads and add another laneway. No, we need to give people a viable option to not take, uh, uh, their car horn. I, I, I perfect. I had a conversation with somebody. We met up for a coffee, uh, not too far from where I live, and we were talking about how it's the distance. The distance of everything is just so far out of the out of the way. 
yeah, we dr- we have to drive to where we want to go to meet up because the public transit option is just not there. It's not reliable. It's not a a good substitute. And we question like why why couldn't we just for a moderate fee a reliable bus service on a major roadway too? It's not it's not as if we were at some out of the way side street. This was a major this is a major road. I said why did why didn't we not just invest in a express route just up and down the road and to say no the idea is like you, you we get you get where you need to go in 15 minutes right it's a de- like just dedicated infrastructure and it, i would invite you to look at you're right wrong like cities like amsterdam that have just said no the the idea like because the idea of like oh, we need great big wide boulevards full of cars because that's how we get around saying no we don't because you you don't actually transit that people you just have a lot of people stuck in gridlock stuck in parking lots on the roadways as you wait for the car in front of you to pull into a walmart or into a uh, subdivision or, or whatever have you no you need dedicated laneways of just it's public transit it is for first responder vehicles and just book it down the these major roadways which is what they initially were designed for and that's Okay. Yeah, councils are going to take that risk. Not at risk, just the vision to say we're going to make it happen. And and we're talking about you know things like bus lanes. Um, they, these are these are things that were put in place in cities around the world. Most most of the certainly the Western world. I can't speak to, not not just years ago, not recently. We're talking in the nineteen seventies. This was done. People saw the need. Um, yeah. to, to let the, um, the transit get through. Um, and Canada's not just behind. It's decades and decades. I mean, the whole of North America, to be fair. It's not just Canada. You know, for some reason, we have this cultural inability to look at what happens in the other world, in the rest of the world, and go, well, maybe that would work here. You know, There was just such you know, the car-centric mm-hmm. mentality was so ingrained for so long. You know, and it's starting to break down, but it's breaking down so slowly. Um, you know, I mean, frankly, I mean, it's infuriating. It's infuriating, but it's also, you know, we're heading towards environmental apocalypse. Um, and we're I, I bitching right. about a couple of bus lanes at the same time. You know, it, it's like, ah, uh, you know, what's, I, what's the fucking point? You know, <laughs> that's the thing. Like we we. I know I, I love driving. I'll, 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 I love cars. Like we've had on um, Flavio Volpe to talk about Project Arrow before. And I mean, that guy's a car nut. Like he just loves cars. Rightfully so. I mean, that's just, that's his industry. That's his career. And I, I, I love it. I love, I love the technology. I love driving. But you know what I like driving, honestly? It's out on the highway, out on the, out on the road where you have, you can actually drive, not, do this bumper to bumper nonsense within cities. And like, here's the thing, we're never going to not need cars. We will always need cars. We always need stuff to just, yeah, I need to go to pick up groceries for, you know, for the, the weekend you'll need it. It's just the, the case, but do we need it for every little thing to say, well, I want to go, I want to go to a, a, a meet up with a friend for a cup of coffee. I need to go down to city hall to file paperwork or to service Canada or service Ontario office to, to run an errand. This stuff should be easier to do on a public transit system. 
it's not because oh public transit doesn't work. It doesn't work because we haven't invested in it. We 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 don't actually put the money into it. Say let's improve it. Let's make it better. And is it? I think it's just a, it's not it's not because of any lobbyists. It's not because of any conspiracy. I think it's just a lack of imagination to say, hmm, you know, could it could it be better? Yeah, it could. We're gonna have to try to make an effort to put it forward, and then sell the idea to uh, to the to the the people. And because, quite frankly, I say at the current system, I don't don't think it works. Like the current system is failing us. Hmm. The current system of developing our cities, and just the idea of we'll just keep building out sprawl, it's failing. I think people are starting to catch on with it. They start to see this isn't sustainable, and it's not a way to get around a city a city anymore. And let's just talk, I mean, let's in the last few minutes, we didn't talk about this, but I mean, so uh, listeners, um, you know, I recently, for the last sort of two years, I basically personally experimented with living a 95% car-free life. Um, and, um, you know, I moved to, down, you know, just about downtown Hamilton, just on the outskirts of the downtown, I guess, uh, just near the mountain. Um it's a pretty much a 15-minute community. I can pretty much do everything within 15 minutes apart from get to a supermarket or a DIY store uh, or a bank, which are actually more important, those three things, than you might think. Um, and I've just bought a car recently. Um, and and you know, for most of that time, I could get by. Um a, don't have friends in other cities if you live in Ontario, <laughs> because if you don't have a car, you've got a problem. You know, uh, you know, kind of you know, saying, well, why didn't you catch the go train? No, not a solution. Certainly no bus solution. Uh, 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 yeah, and just the sheer amount of time that would be involved with, with that kind of travel uh, is, is, you know, not realistic. Um and you know, I still don't drive very much. I now have a car that sits unused for um, probably five out of every seven days, um, and I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars for the privilege. Um, but that, I guess, was was worth it to me um, to have that independence, flexibility. Um, you know, I'm still not going to feel too guilty about the, the about the pollution comparing my pollution with with the rest of the provinces. Um, but it, but it's you know it shows how even in a 15 minute community, and this is about as close to a 15 minute community as you could hope for, people are still going to want people are still going to pay a lot of money for the privilege of having a car. The the qualifier to that is I I, I when I needed the car I would use um, Commune Auto, which is which is like Zipcar. Uh, based in Quebec, it's a great system, and you could use a commune auto car every day of the year, probably, and still save a ton of money over actually owning a car. However, getting hold of them is not easy enough. You can't just walk out of your door and jump into a car quite. Um, so even that, you know, becomes a kind of inconvenience. So you know, we've got to to genuinely get people to view driving in a different way. We've still got a hell of a long way to go. I really tried, but ultimately I guess I failed. I mean, I don't really view it that way, but um, 
it, it, no, it's, it, it, we're never not going to drive anywhere, but driving around, getting a runner seat should be a lot easier. There should be a great op- option just to hop on a bus for a 15 minute drive to go somewhere to meet up for a cup of coffee, to go see a, uh, an event, meet, go downtown to eat, drink, be merry, catch up with friends, that kind of stuff. You're going to need a car to get around and all that. But again, these are the, these are the, the, the option of we just everybody just need, has a right to get around. They should be able to use the car whenever they want. Is the arguments that are being made to prevent municipalities from investing in the necessary infrastructure to stop the sprawl, uh, essentially? Um, What's well, to, to make everything that little bit easier and with every yeah. degree of ease? No. It, Every everything every change that you make is going to help a little bit. It's going to get a few people, you know, if you live on the right bus route, you might now take the bus where previously yeah. you didn't. Um, you know, uh, every, every, ch- change can be incremental, but we need a lot of increments, um, uh, and you will see the change. I mean, you already see in Toronto, if you know people who live in, in central Toronto, the younger they are, the more likely it is that they won't have a car yeah. because – they're not traveling to Hamilton to see friends. <laughs> they're traveling just to another bit of downtown Toronto. It makes perfect sense. You jump on the subway. So many different ways of getting around in Toronto. Um, they, you really can exist without a car, and you can save yourself a ton of money in the process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but yeah. it's like the, you know, again, you, you look at the cities, the 905 cities need the most change. They were designed badly. They were designed backwards. They were designed for cars. We need cities to go to hell with it. We're going to be radical here. We're going to, we're just going to push this and push this and push this. We're not going to reconsider it every year and then undo what we did the year before. We're going to follow a plan for decades on end and we're yep. going to build that infrastructure. But that's not what we see. We don't, I mean, we see such modest. We see, that, we, change we see, when a, we see a, toe, a toe in the pond, and then when the water gets a little bit cold, it's a yank out. We run back to the comfort of sprawl and you know three car garages now. Um, I, I'm not. You know what? In the past, I probably would have thrown more shade at members of Burlington Council, specific ones, and I'm not even going to bother doing that anymore because I don't believe that they count. <laughs> yeah. You know, they might as well go home for all the good they're doing. It's not politicians. It's systemic. It's the way the whole thing is built yep. from the ground up that is ultimately the problem. And there's no, you know, the only way that's going to change is with a change of the provincial government. And I don't see it coming from any of the three or even the fourth uh, major party. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe the Greens would be different. Uh, no, I suspect by the time they won an election, they'd be pretty much just like the rest. Um, on that cherry note, I think maybe we just wrap this up and uh, call it a call it a day. We, yeah, um, it's been fun. I think we're gonna probably our next episode we're talking about. We're gonna do a year end Christmas party spectacular. So <laughs> if yeah. you haven't already, uh, sign up. You know, subscribe, tune in next week. Uh, we'll round up the next year and then uh, take a break and enjoy the enjoy the holidays. So, bye, folks. Bye, bye. That 
that's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Candace Sampson, the voice behind what she said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.